guys, and welcome to another episode of This Is What Blind Looks Like. It's just me and my lovely co-host, Kimberly. I mean, come on. It's just us, so I think you should know it by now. But anyway, here we are today, and for today's episode, we're going to talk about the medical model of disability versus the social model of disability. I just feel like this is an important topic to talk about just simply because I just feel that, like, people's perception of disability is just very, I don't know, like, they feel like the need to feel sorry for you if you're disabled, and I just think that it just needs to change. Like, there's nothing wrong with having a disability or being disabled, at all. Um, it's the same thing with blindness. With any disability, really. So yeah, we're gonna talk about this topic today. And I did some research because I knew a little bit, but I wanted to be sure to kind of prepare myself so that I knew what I was talking about and how I was going to approach it and things of that nature. So, let us get into it. Disability studies scholars primarily draw on two models of disability, which are the medical model and the social model. So, the medical model of disability, in short, means this. People are disabled by their differences, which are inherently bad and in need of fixing. So what that means is the medical model focuses on finding a cure for disability. And the medical model of disability is the most prevalent in society. And in this model, people are accustomed to viewing disability in this way. So, which means that people think that something is quote-unquote wrong with the person who has the disability. Therefore, they think that the person who has the disability is suffering and is unable to function as somebody who is able-bodied. So, in other words, it's a tragic circumstance and the disability is a problem and it needs to be fixed. And with the medical model, it is suggested that disability could be fixed with medical intervention. An example would be surgery, therapy, prosthetics, or other treatments. And so, ideally, if medical intervention results in the person being cured, then the problem is solved. So that is the medical model of disability. What if? What if the disability can't be cured? Then it's a problem that the disabled person has to deal with. Since the problem is with the individual person and it's not a matter of concern to anybody else. So, for example... If a wheelchair user isn't able to access the second floor of a building because the building doesn't have an elevator, that is the problem of the wheelchair user. 
So basically, the medical model places responsibility on a disabled person to conform with the rest of society. And according to the medical model of disability, the person is the problem. And the medical model says that we need to change the person. So that, my friends, is the medical model of disability. I hope I explained it to the best of my ability. I had to... I had to Google, you know, I had to Google things. I, I did hear a little a little bit about it, but I wanted to be sure that I knew what I was talking about and that I had looked up information and how to, how to better explain it. So, I mean, it makes sense because, like, re- like, in regards to, like, blindness, for example, like, an ophthalmologist they will never, ever say the word blind. In fact, they are uncomfortable saying the word blind. From what I've noticed is, like, they'll say things like poor vision. Like, oh, you have poor vision. They'll never say, oh, you're going blind. I've never, like, I've never heard that. And I just, you know, and to them, you know, they think, oh, my God, Blindness is terrible. Like, we need to, we need to fix it. At least that's, that's what I, like, that's just my, like, perception of it. I think this is all very interesting, and I think there's a difference when we're talking about cures and things like that, and people trying to fix us. There's a huge difference from being born with something versus having something later in life. I know friends that have been blind since birth become very defensive and insulted when people say, look, there's something wrong with you. You need to change it. That's like telling someone cited that they need to start wearing sleep shades all the time because being cited isn't right. Like, that's probably a poor example, but I'm just saying that's telling someone who's been raised one way that it's not right. And it's like, they were born a certain way. When you're born a certain way, you like that's all you know. Thrive basically. and adapt, and you don't know any difference. So, yeah. And for me, after having a lot of surgeries to try to preserve my vision and my vision getting worse, someone came up to me in a restaurant and was like. Yeah, have they found a cure? I'm with blah, blah, blah. And we think that we can save your vision. And it's just like, there's, at that point, I was very accepted of my vision Mm -hmm. loss. And I felt like, who are you to say there's something Mm -hmm. wrong with me? If I feel there's something wrong with me, that's different. But if society tells me there's something wrong with me, no, you don't get to put that label on me and decide what's best for me. I'm adapting. I got training. I'm doing right, fine. Exactly. And it's just, just like, leave it be. I don't, I don't want to be fixed. Like I'm fine. Like, you know, I remember before, prior to going to training, I had a talk with one of my uncles cause he was telling me about the OrCam device. And I think I touched upon this, on, in a previous episode, right? But I'm going to talk about it again. He was just like, 
oh, honey, there's this, um, camera. It's called, it's called the OrCam, and it's gonna help you see, and blah, 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 and you won't need, you won't need, you know, you won't need this, you won't need that. And I was just like, okay, that's great, but that's not the end-all be-all. Like, it's not gonna solve my problem. I, and I don't know if it's gonna work for me. I've never tried anything like OrCam or eSight or, um, New Eyes or whatever the, the, um, the camera lenses, like what, like whatever they have. And I know those, um, those are expensive pieces of technology. I mean, they might work for some people. They might not work for other people. I don't know. I mean, I, um, my visual field is not, <laughs> it's not the best. I had a visual field test done, but anyway. Um, so I don't know if that's going to help me much, to be honest. I don't know if it's going to obstruct it more or I don't know if it's going to help. You know what I mean? I've never tried it. So, um, I mean, it was nice of him to say that, but, you know, and then my aunt was telling me, oh, like, your dad seems really, like, not disappointed, but, like, more so, like, he didn't, he didn't think that you were just gonna be comfortable, you know? And I'm like, well, this is my disability, like, I'm comfortable with my blindness, like, I don't, I don't want to be fixed. Why? Why do I have to? You know, why should I? And I'm not trying to say that, like, eye doctors are like, oh, we need to find a cure, but more of, like, they try to fix something. Like, they try to just be like, okay, well, then what can we do so your vision doesn't get worse? You know what I mean? Like, that's what every eye doctor tries to do. They try to find a solution. It's just, like, and they're afraid of the word blind. And it's just, like, can we just be comfortable? Can we learn how to be comfortable with blindness? Can we, you know... Can we learn to be comfortable with, like, learning alternative techniques, non-visual techniques? Can we stop trying to think about, like, quote-unquote maximizing vision? And obviously we can talk about this another day, but, like, I know, like, TVIs and, like, oh, comms people, like, they... Um, when, when they're working with, like, somebody who has residual vision, they always talk about, quote-unquote, maximizing vision, you know? Like, the student learning how to use their vision to the best of their ability, you know? But it's just, like, I mean, obviously this is, like, a different topic, but, like, again, why can't we just be comfortable? Why can't we just not try to always fix somebody and learn alternative techniques like you know um learning braille or using a screen reader so you don't have eye strain eye fatigue headaches neck aches um that sort of thing i just I honestly don't understand, like, why people 
just think, oh, if somebody has a disability, they need to be cured. No, no, they don't. You can adapt. And it's your decision. Ultimately, when doctors tell you something, they're just giving you options. It's not a, you need to do this. So if you're uncomfortable with something, you can say, can I think about it? You don't have to put all your faith into any kind of doctor that they're just giving you their honest feedback. Or if you need to get a second opinion, get a second feel opinion. Get a second opinion. If you feel in your gut that that's not the right not diagnosis, do more digging. So my point is, if a doctor tells you something really hard news to digest, you don't have to decide in that visit, and you don't even have to take that option if right. you don't Again, feel I mean, it's right or if you don't Completely want to. different topic. I completely just, like, took this and basically ran with it, but it just made me think of, like, other things, too, you know? But I just feel like we shouldn't have to change just because we're, we have a disability, you know, we, we shouldn't have to just be focused on like, oh my God, like I want to, I want to find a cure. Cause honestly, I'm perfectly happy if you ask me, like I'm so comfortable and I'm so happy. Like, this is all I know. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. And it takes time to adapt. We were just talking about this this morning, our friends, where a change in routine or a change in anything, there's an adapting process. And so talking about cures and maybe getting a prosthetic limb and things like that, you're not going to like it at first. And obviously it's going to take some time and even some pain to get used to some medical treatments and diagnosis and things like that. Um, just give it time. It's not always the best pill to swallow when you're told something in society and everything wants to cure you. But if it's something that can help you, that's your decision. And don't give up after just a couple days. You'll get, it'll take time. Try to get a good support system. Try to get good medical attention, whatever you need to help you adjust to that, not counting like toxic, toss, not counting toxic ways, but I'm just saying, however you need to get through that adjustment, you, you will get through it and come out the other side with that treatment yeah, or whatever more to you've add been about given medical model to help you. I think it's really fascinating. I think that society does get the impression that 
we need to be changed. I know I've come across a lot of people that are like, well, is there any cure? Can you do any cure? No, there's not a cure for blindness. And explain to them once the, for instance, I have glaucoma and I've been asked, well, are there any treatments? And I say, I put in four eye drops a day. And they're like, what if you don't put in the eye drops? What if you don't get laser surgery if the pressures get too high? If the pressures, if the pressures get too high, it causes damage to your optic nerve. And once there's damage to their optic nerve, there's nothing that can be done at this point in time. And science has not gotten to that point. And I even asked my eye doctor, and he was very upfront and honest with me. I said, do you see there being a cure for my, because I have a couple different vision problems for myself in my lifetime and he said no mind you that's just Mm -hmm. his opinion but i'm glad he didn't like leave me clinging to hope like oh maybe or whatever he tells me Mm -hmm. what scientists are working on but that's not to say they're gonna get it done overnight Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. so there we go and i'm not like that's all i know obviously like yeah you know, doctors that go through medical school and everything like that, and I get it, and I respect the fact that, like, you know, they're doctors and they're there to help us and everything. I get it. But, you know, it's just, like, just, you know, be okay and please be comfortable with blindness. It's okay. Like, it's not scary. We promise. Like, I, for example, you know, I had a visual field test done and... My my doctor did write, like, oh, as expected, you know, you do have an obstructed visual field, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, he has said, like, hey, you know, your retina in your right eye is thinning out. Um, he said, you know, perhaps maybe we could do some surgery for it or whatever to prevent it from detaching, you know, because if it thins out, it can tear, it can detach. I'm very much susceptible to retinal detachment still. Um, I mean, I will always be susceptible to retinal detachment. Um, my left eye is detached. I mean, it's, I mean, it's attached because of surgery, right? But like, it hasn't detached in a very long time. And I cannot see out of my left eye. <laughs> I have very limited peripheral vision. But anyway, um, it's my right eye that he's concerned about. And I, you know, I'm just like, mm, no, you know, like, I just don't. I'd rather not put myself through risk. I'd rather just let it be as it is right now, to be honest, you know. And if something happens, something happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't, you know. But, um, you know, again, like, he wanted to take preventative measures, and I get it, right? But, like, if something were to happen where my retina detaches and I lose more vision or I lose it completely, yes, I mean, just like with everything, right? I mean... 
you know, you would go through grieving process and everything like that. But, like, I had blindness adjustment training. And I'm thankful that I have that because that way I know I'm going to be able to to thrive. I'm going to be able to do everything I I did do. You know, I have the non-visual skills. Um, that's part of the reasons why I went to training in the first place. Um, it was because I wanted to prepare myself. Because, you know, you never know. Like, I can't always just say, oh, yeah, nothing's ever going to happen to me. Because you never know. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm very, very much comfortable with my blindness. It took me, took me a while to get comfortable. Because in high school, I was not comfortable using a cane. I thought, oh my god, people were gonna stare at me, whatever. Like, why do I need this? I don't need this. I'm fine. And then, and I also felt insecure about traveling alone. <laughs> so, but I'm thankful that I fought for more O&M in college because I did not get enough in high school like I should have. Um, and partially I didn't know I didn't know what I needed. I thought, like, oh, well, they're my teachers. They should know, you know, what I need. I didn't think that that I had to tell them what I needed, you know. But in reality, you do because you have to advocate for yourself. No one's going to do it for you. But no, yeah, that's just... I feel like I'm rambling and I don't want to be rambling, but... So now that we've covered the medical model of disability Should and we move on to the next is, topic? Now we're going to talk about the social model of disability. Okay, so the social model of disability. In very general terms, it means that disability isn't a personal problem to be overcome by an individual, but a failure of society to be inclusive or accessible. So basically... This model focuses on making the environment accessible to people with disabilities. So what that means is our environment is filled with barriers that will create a significant difference in experience for a large number of people with disabilities. An inclusive environment is going to offer a minimum level of intrusion for all of the experiences for everybody. But they're going to enable disabled people to live their lives equally. So what that means is basically disabled people don't need to be fixed. We just have to think of like, okay, what in our environment can be made accessible but for everyone to use so that we could be equal? So, for example... Here's an example of the social model of disability. Buses now. Buses have the audio-visual announcements. Whatever is written on the screen, I can't see the screen. So, like, I listen to the announcements of, like, what stops they're, you know, what streets they're passing and the stops that they're, you know, announcing and stuff like that. That helps blind people. To be able to know where they are and 
where, you know, what stop to get off at and stuff like that. Um, and that's really, really neat. But that feature could also help everyone else on the bus. Because what if somebody's standing in the way of that screen in the front of the bus? What if they can't see it? What if the bus is crowded? So that's an example of the social model of disability where something yeah. something is invented for somebody who is disabled, for people who are disabled, but everyone else can definitely takes advantage of it. It works for everybody. It's universal accessibility. And here's what we're going to talk about the curb cut phenomenon. But I do want to I do want to quote. So Okay. So there's a late Australian comedian, disabled activist, disability activist. Her name is Stella Young. And she has a very very amazing TED Talk on inspiration porn and on disability. So there's this quote that she said, and I like it a lot, because it says, I use the term disabled people quite deliberately because I subscribe to what is called the social model of disability, which tells us that we are more disabled by the society that we live in than by our bodies and our diagnosis. So that means, yeah, so that means that it's society not being accessible that makes us disabled. Not our bodies. I'm going to get into something called the curb cut phenomenon. So what I explain to you about the social model of disability, that also ties into the curb cut phenomenon. So the curb cut phenomenon, the curb cut phenomenon is disability friendly features being used and appreciated by a larger group than the people that they were designed for. The phenomenon is named for curb cuts, which are miniature ramps comprising parts of a sidewalk, which were first made for wheelchair access in particular places but are now universal and no longer widely recognized as a disability accessibility feature. So, another example of the curb cut phenomenon is text messaging. Text messaging was first developed with deaf people in mind so that deaf people can communicate. And nowadays, everybody texts. Everybody can text. Another thing that is also a part of the curb cut phenomenon are truncated domes. Yes, these are the ramps that you see in sidewalks or along curbs or in front of buildings that are the ramps. They have... What are those bumps called again, Angie? Some of them have 
Yeah. Traction, bumps on them for traction. And you can feel them them through your shoes and stuff, but those provide traction. And yes, yes. And along with their spray painted yellow. So if you have low vision, you can kind of see that. I have some in front of my apartment building because my apartment is for the disabled and elderly. For the disabled and elderly. I see them on street corners and not just disabled and elderly use these mothers with strollers, families with strollers use them, people use them, people who are physically disabled in some way use them, people with wheelchairs, crutches, maybe you just sprained your ankle and you're still limping, you're not going to want to walk off the curb, you're going to want to use the ramp. They're just so widely spread there. I also notice that they're in front of doctor's offices. I go to the chiropractor here in my neighborhood and there's one leading off the sidewalk into the parking lot. So obviously people don't have to try to get their wheelchairs, walkers, everything is a chiropractor office and a physical therapy office, why not have those? Also, I just thought of this, a good one for the phenomenon is the automatic buttons for opening doors. Now everyone uses those, especially with COVID. Instead of using the handle, they press those yep. buttons or hit their button with the elbow and the door opens. Wheelchairs, yeah. It was started for disabled people, but now it's everyone uses them. Yeah, exactly. And I want to also mention how um, the Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, they have digital book players, but they're for the dyslexic for reading books. They also have I didn't know this until after I got it. There's a certain digital book player machine that you, there's a lever that you're able to just, if you have limited movement in your hands, you can use the lever easily to press the buttons and things like that. So you don't have to find the button and press it. It's easy for the blind and they're marked with braille or they're different shapes but those are good for those with limited mobility in their hands and things like that so as angie said there's so many things that are available that people use often that started i'm gonna go back to disabled in mind and now they're just invented for blind people to be able to detect a drop-off or you know if they were if they were near a street now, those help people with wheelchairs and also, like, a mom with a stroller. Mm-hmm. You know, like you mentioned. So, we could go on to talk about, like, voice assistants, like Siri yep. and Google. They could be useful, you know, for right people who are blind, for example, but also, like, people who have 
limited use of their hands. Um, you know, a physical disability that doesn't allow them to, you know, to use their hands very well. So that, so that's a cool thing. And guess what? When people who drive, they can use the hands-free option on their phone and talk to Siri or Google. So, I mean, it's universal. And that's the thing with the curb cut phenomenon is yeah. making something that is meant to be used for disabled people, but, like, having it be universal, like, Anybody can use it. Like, you talked about, like, the, 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 the buttons on the door. You know? What if somebody has their hands full and can't... You know? Oh, there's the button. Mm-hmm. Or someone's in a wheelchair and cannot... Yeah. Push the door open. There's good, the button. Good point. And they're everywhere now, so... They're very, they're very useful. And as far as Google and Siri and stuff, going back to things being made for one disability and being used for other things, when we had our podcast about Louis voice control, that's the same concept where if someone has limited use of their hands, they can use that if someone is dyslexic they can use that you know for um, it might just be the next best thing for doing things right exactly hands-free sometimes people just want to be hands-free what originated google and siri to be designed but you know we all use it right but it could also be a good thing for somebody with a disability to be able to use their phone to make a phone call to send a text message. Dragon naturally speaking, that was the first um I want I What about Dragon first? I don't know. I don't want to Yeah, I don't I don't want to like spread misinformation but like I want to say it was. I remember used, seeing it advertised and um, I thought it was really neat. That's something that could be used if somebody like let's say uh someone doesn't have or someone has limited use of their hands to type and they could just speak and the program will type it out for them. Like I know somebody who uses that program she is quadriplegic and yeah she uses dragon naturally speaking to type things out on her computer you know she ha- i know she has an iphone so she'll use siri to send out a text um yeah she's a very good friend of mine well, of not of mine, but like she's a very good friend of my mother's. So it's my mother's friend's mom. Um but yeah, like and you know, I wanna say like you know, it, that could even help out people who who have 
dyslexia, but like, I mean, again, dragon naturally speaking, I don't, I don't think it's something that everybody could have, right? But like, because I know it's primarily sold, um, you know, for people who have a disability to use. But um, I know computers now, they have voice assistants. Like, I know Microsoft has Cortana, um, the Chromebooks, they have the Google Assistant, Mac has Siri, you know, so they're being popular now. They, they are popular now, um, with, amongst everybody. It's not just a group of people, but where everybody's using a voice assistant, which is awesome. I did not know this, but someone provided me with this information recently. Screen readers in probably on the MacBook, since they already have one, or even narrator, you can, for those listening who use them, you can increase the speed. And actually, a lot of college students use them so they can get through their work faster, and our brain takes in things faster than we can speak. And so lots of college students are using it now, and especially like students that go into further programs like medical and lawyer and things like that. Now it's something that they use to not cheat, but just to get through classes faster. And it's like, that made me feel really good because it's like, wow, we are getting Dude, that's things awesome. further Wait, so to people who they weren't even made for that are using um, it now and someone's used that it's helping. To, to read up on their like science, like their, I don't want to say science, but like, cause I don't know what they're studying, but like their college material. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, like, say you get, like, I know, say you get, like, 20 chapters you have to do in, like, three weeks. Well, they might not be the fastest reader, even if they are. You're going to limit exponentially your amount of time it's going to take you to get through your work if you just let your jaws rattle on. That's really cool. Have you take notes throughout it or whatever the case may be. I know. But yeah, that is the curb cut phenomenon. And those are examples of, you know, how it works. And the social model of disability is making your world be universally accessible to everybody. Which is awesome. And I actually prefer that model. I, you know, I love it. Like, for example, closed captions. Like, they were made... For, for deaf people. But anybody can use clo- closed captions. Right. Mm-hmm. Some people get annoyed by them, but we've had family members stay with us who... We're hard of hearing. That's awesome. And 
We had them on the TV long after they were staying with us. I would love to see somebody who's like I didn't even know. So it didn't bother me. (laughs) Love audio description. (laughs) That's that's what I'm waiting to see. Oh, been there, done that. My parents, um, they, when I stay, I had to stay for them with them last year for a few months due to some health reasons where I needed some help and someone to stay with, um, or physical reasons. And so I stayed with them for a while last winter and they turned on, we watched Netflix a lot, and they turned on the, I showed them how to turn on the audio description, and now they have it on all the time, and it really helps because one of them is a little hard of hearing, well, both of them are, and then the other far away, they can't see too well, and so it's so funny because I'll walk in, and they'll be watching a Netflix series, and it'll be on, and they won't even need it on or anything and they're just used to it by now and so they have it on automatically and then when I stay with them once in a while then they don't have to keep turning on for me and a lot of the series they watch are Netflix series so I just had to I was like in awe because I walked in one time when they were watching stuff that's and awesome. I'm like wait that's really really cool you guys still have that's this on really they're like yeah I'm like Awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep. I think I think people like it too because they can multitask and mm-hmm. like sighted people can just be on their phones and stuff or they like to play games mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. their computers through Facebook, whatever. Awesome. And I told That's them, really, I was really like, cool. you guys, dude, you can still do that and still know what's so going on. Anything if you else have that, that on. So maybe they just took that advice. I don't know. All right. Well, all right, guys, it's that time. So I think we covered it all, Angie. Thank you guys so much for listening to us today. And honestly, like I, I did wanna I did wanna talk about like Oh, people, like, using, like, other words, like, to describe the disabled, which I don't like. I prefer the word disabled, disability. Um, but (laughs) that could be, like, for another time that we could talk about that. But I want to thank you guys again for tuning in to our episode today. I hope that you guys enjoyed it, and we tried to explain everything to the best of our ability You can always Google it to know more. That's what I had to do (laughs) to Google, you know, because sometimes, like, we all need to Google things, you know. So that's what I had to do to prepare myself. So, well, Kimberly also Googled things, too. We all, we both did. We we have to. I mean, because we don't want to, like, give people false info or anything or... Pretend like we know a lot about something. Well, and that's what these are for. 
Well, that's what podcasts are for, is to give people information in another way. And yeah, everyone like, needs to see, do research I didn't know about anything about the things. medical model or social model of disability. And, and tell you things how I, they really are. I watch a bunch of, like, blind YouTubers and stuff like that. <laughs> so, I was watching a video that Molly Burke did where she explained it a little bit. And, um, and I know that she did a video where she explained what it is and everything, like, a very in-depth video. And I was just kind of like, oh, it makes sense, you know? And that's, like, how I learned about, like, the curb cut phenomenon and what it was and everything. And I know I touched up a little bit about it when I did the episode with Good Maps. Um, because they were talking about how they wanted to make their maps, like, accessible, like, you know, for the blind, but, like, so that everybody can use them, that it could be something that everybody could use, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know. But anyway, so there's that, but I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. You guys know where to find us. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and SoundCloud, and TuneIn, and we're also on Google Play, we're on the iTunes podcast app, so you could find us on there, and please, if you guys can, donate to our Patreon, we would love to be able to do more on there, and to give you guys access to content on there, and bonus episodes and stuff like that so that is all for now remember to tune in next time bye guys